Hey everyone, I'm Luke and welcome to a new episode of Exploring Kodawari. Finally. Apologies that we've had trouble getting a new episode out. My co-host Yanka and I got back from a lot of traveling and getting married and then we came back home directly to a busy work schedule. Anyways, this episode is all about metacognition and it will be accompanied by an article on the website called Metacognition, the bird's eye view of the mind. The prefix meta means above or beyond and metacognition is taking a step back from our normal thinking and viewing it from a distance. Lower levels of metacognition are just being aware of how you think and learn and can often be implicit and unconscious. But the deeper levels of metacognition occur when we become meta-aware. Meta-awareness is being aware of that which is aware. It's a true detachment from the mind that's synonymous with many definitions of mindfulness. As psychologist Tomasz Jankowski said in his 2014 paper on metacognition and mindfulness, quote, Furthermore, meta-level may have many subsequent levels of metacognition. This means that one meta-level can become object-level for a higher next level and so on. Therefore, a mindfulness state includes multi-level metacognitive processing of information. So it's kind of this idea that there's levels and one level of metacognition, if you step back from that, becomes the thing you're now watching from a higher level. Anyways, besides metacognition and awareness, we also relate this topic to mind-wandering, cognitive biases, and the modular model of the mind. Basically, spending more time in metacognitive space allows you to see the many sub-personalities that make up your one mind. And by detaching from them and naming them, these modules will have less control over your thoughts and behaviors. Ultimately, metacognition has taught me that all of our minds are a bundle of contradictions and competing thoughts. And if you think your mind isn't, it probably just means you aren't spending enough time metacognating. Some contradictions need to be worked out, but in many cases, we have to learn how to embrace the tension. Anyways, I find the topic fascinating. It can get a little trippy, but hopefully our conversation will give you some things to think about. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode on metacognition. All right, it's gone. <laughs> Welcome back, wife. Well, welcome back. Okay, let's not do this. <laughs> it's been hi. Um, though. I think we did a podcast two weeks before the wedding, and that was on August twenty second. So it's been too too long. But so our apologies. I already say that in the intro, I'm sure. But uh, we're basically going to try to get one out as often as possible. But that might just be less often now that normal life is picking up. Yeah. This was a pandemic project, and. I probably would never have the time to start it, which takes the most investment in time mm -hmm. if it were like normal life. So hopefully now that it's started, there's enough momentum to get something out on a fairly regular basis. But I don't also want to just put stuff out just for the sake of like meeting a weekly deadline of like, we have to do an episode every week because then we'll be yeah. talking about like French fries and stuff. I don't, you know, <laughs> there's just not enough there's time. There's nothing to wrong with that. But yeah, it's the quality, <clears throat> not the quantity. Wow. No one's ever or said that before. To bring it to the topic of, no, nobody? <laughs> qualia is like the fancy philosophy word for like um, thoughts, sensations, emotions, like qualities of of experience that arise in the mind kind of thing. Hmm. So uh, anyways, before we get into the topic, which is metacognition, let's just uh, cheers. Cheers. Can you reach me? Uh, yes. This is the last bottle from the leftover wine uh, from our wedding. And Last bottle of red, yes. I'll put a link to it in the episode notes if I remember. Luke, when you're editing this, <laughs> remember, 
Um, cause it's like, I think it was $6 a bottle at total wine. Yeah. Now granted we bought like 24 of them or so. Yeah. And then it was, it was good. It wasn't even like sh- shitty or anything. Yeah. So right. I'm saying maybe it would be more like eight, $9 if you bought like just a bottle of it somewhere. Yeah. But very cheap wine, all things considered from Spain. Um, Honoro Vera. It's a 2019. And yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I really like I it better than a lot of wine I've had. Same, same, same. So cheers. Yeah. All right, let's go metacognitive on the taste of this wine. Sure. Okay. What is metacognition? Have you heard this word before? Yeah, of course I did. I was. Is there a word for it in Turkish? You know what? I was just looking up for that right before we started. I think there are multiple ones. Some... Sources translated just directly, metacognition, metacognitive or something. something. Cognitive. Yeah, apparently there's a (coughs) branch of um, therapy, like, you know, psychotherapy. Yeah, but also it's called metacognitive therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will get there, but anyway. I think I have something on that, yeah. Yeah, Um, so that's the word, I guess, metacognitive, Mm -hmm. like that's one. And then bilish üstü, like... Above, above um, consciousness. Right? Yeah. No, that's bilinch. Bilinch. Yeah, bilinch is like knowing awareness. Like above, above uh, my accent. <laughs> above knowing or something. Bilinch. Bilinch is like knowing something. Yeah. But anyway, so there, there are some words they're trying to come up with. Some. Okay, I was just curious. Sometimes, like when you hear um, a, a word in a different language, the particular um, word that they choose. Tells you something interesting about the concept. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Um, I can't think of an example off the top of my um, couple mm. sips of wine in brain, but there's a well. I can think of one like in Turkish when you say like, um, "I might be able to go" or "I could go." It's there's no difference. It just depends on the context of the sentence. And when you think about the word "might," it's like there's an I- implication of like "could" in there. Like it's kind of redundant in most cases. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so, <clears throat> yeah, metacognition, I think it's been around in philosophy for a long time, just the idea of it, but the term metacognition was coined by a, an American developmental psychologist, John Flavel. It's kind of a cool name. Flav- Nicholas Flavel. Flavel. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Nicholas Flamel from Harry Potter. Um, so he coined that term in 1979, and, you know, the word meta in general means beyond or above, mm-hmm. right? So it's like above cognition or beyond cognition. Mm -hmm. And he translated it as cognition about cognitive phenomena or thinking about thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, phenomena, right? Yes, yes. Phenomen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've also probably heard the word meta with other words like metaphysics. Yeah. Right? You say like, oh, that's metaphysical. It means like something spiritually. You're not talking about Elon Musk. Launching a rocket is not metaphysical. That's physics. Yeah. You know, something metaphysical would be like talking about your spirit in in a meditation class or something, you know, it's, yeah. you're not making claims about atoms in the universe and shit like that. Yeah. Schopenhauer has a great book, Metaphysics of Love, actually. Oh, and yeah. it, you read it? it? Yeah. It's Very a cool. nice read, but it, yeah, anyway, that's the word. So yeah, metacognition, I don't think it's something I was conscious of until I started a meditation practice. And we'll get into like how it relates to meditation and mindfulness, which is a lot actually. Um, But we all do some form of metacognition all the time. 
whenever you're thinking about thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So there are layers to metacognition. And I think the older you get, if you're spending time in a metacognitive state, you can get better at peeling back more layers. But one layer which you could teach to kids, you should teach to kids, would be um, examining how you learn things, right? Mm -hmm. So anytime you're thinking about how you think. So if you know you're a visual learner, you might alter the way you study for an exam by building flashcards and making a picture on it that associates with with each word, I don't know, as a random example. Whereas if you're an audio learner, you might record yourself saying the things you need to memorize, then listen back to it all the time in the car or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, different people can be more aware of like their strengths and weaknesses of like, I know I'm bad at math or I know I'm bad at remembering names. Mm-hmm. I'm actually bad at remembering <laughs> names, like so bad. It's, <laughs> I started a new teaching thing, which is like a, an orchestra. And in the handbook for this teaching gig, it said like, you know, within three weeks, please make sure you have all the kids' names memorized. <laughs> How's that and going I was like, for you? Oh, I got, I got a lot of them down and it's just because of repetition, you know? Okay. Um, it actually does work when you're going three times a week or, or whatever I'm doing. Like, it, it's not like once a week where you have private students where you're like, Jack, right? And they're like, Steve. And I'm like, yeah, Steve, come on in. But like, I'm just, that's just a weakness of mine. So I have to really be metacognitive. I have to like, in the moment somebody's saying their name, I have to be like, Luke, store it. Like, mm-hmm. like Michael Scott, like, yeah. You know. Okay, don't go there. <laughs> yeah. We all know what that is. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so are you, like, what kind of learner are you? Yeah. I was how just, have you applied that to, like, how you learn? Interesting. So at school, I think I was definitely more visual because when I would try to remember an information, I would, like, try to picture where it was in the book. Like, I would immediately oh, tell, like, me if too. it's, like, in the middle of the paragraph or something, if it's, in, like, a, opener of a paragraph but at the same time like when I'm thinking of how I operate my instrument I'm more of an uh, uh, how what's the word audio Auto- oral oral okay. not like oral with like mouth but oral yeah. a-u oral yeah. okay yeah I was thinking I'm more of like a <clears throat> oral learner because I have to like yeah. hear people and then imitate so I'm that way with languages that's for sure or that, yeah. I always knew of myself that I am a visual learner even if other things are happening, I memorize things based on the visual um, medium that I took it from. Mm-hmm. So I would always be imagining the look of a textbook page and I would see the green box was over there and what was in the bottom corner, it said, this was the year the Huns invaded China or something, yeah. you know, like whatever. Um, so I learned that about myself at an early age, mm-hmm. but I wasn't the layer of metacognitive to go, I'm Luke, this child in seventh grade, and I figured out I'm really good at memorizing visual things. Mm -hmm. It was just this implicit automatic thing. So that's one layer of metacognition that most people do. If you're at all aware of your own thinking, Mm -hmm. if somebody says to you, oh, last week you decided to go to this restaurant and not that one you always go to, like why? You could go metacognitive to your past self and be like, whoa, I was coming home from work oh, I remember like I mm-hmm. had a weird burp after lunch and I thought I didn't want Chinese food this time, you okay. know? So Whatever. that's like the basic level of metacognition, you would say. Yeah. <clears throat> the, you know, if you're a Any visual, thinking about thinking, okay. you know? Any any awareness of like thoughts that aren't just the thoughts. Like probably crocodiles 
think when they're hunting you, you know? <laughs> okay. But it, they're not like, I'm a crocodile or any self-awareness. They're not like, um, I've, I've, you know, I messed up that hunt last time. Let me try something different this time. There's no thoughts about thoughts, you know? Okay. But yeah, that's like the more automatic level. That The level that kind of has become really important to my life, um, especially since I got into meditation and that I think could cure so many problems in society where people seem to be um, increasingly losing their minds. Let's just be honest. I just, maybe we just access more people through social media, but I just feel like people seem to be in an unstable place, just generally like a higher percentage when I go about the world, <laughs> whatever. So the, the layer back from this, uh, another layer back of metacognition would be what I, I loved, I heard it described as the bird's, the, the, the bird's eye view of the mind or the metacognitive perch. Do you know what a perch is? I, I don't think I do. Actually. It's like that thing in a bird cage that they grab onto. Oh, okay. you know? So you're like above the whole thing. You're perched above mm-hmm. the mind and you watch it work. Right. Okay, cool. How does how is that different than mindfulness then? Or so, in one sense, it's not. Depends on exactly how you're using the word, like which layer. Mm-hmm. And I think it depends on who you talk to. Some meditation teachers would say, mindfulness is not just awareness of thoughts and objects and consciousness and emotions arising and stuff. It's also the recognition of the emptiness of everything. Mm-hmm. that's true mindfulness so that you're again mindfulness would have these layers but you haven't achieved true mindfulness until you see that everything is empty including um the concept of your own self right yeah. you just see that everything is everything and there's no form to the world it's all invented right i say th- that's a chair Okay, in this frame where it, it it's very convenient for us to be sitting on things, that's a chair, but in a frame of the room as a bunch of atoms, it has emptiness that that meaning is not relevant, right? Mm-hmm. And we're just saying right now, this apartment level of meaning is the, the, the relevant one. It's like for us creatures right now, but like in a lasting way, it's all empty. But I think you can be metacognitive without having to go down that rabbit hole of like um, enlightenment of seeing the emptiness of everything. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like this bird's eye view of the mind, right? This like, I'm going to be above my mind. So it implies a detachment from it, right? You're not identical to the objects arising in the mind. You're watching them, right? You can almost study them. And the word meditation, when translated from the the Pali word, means familiarization. Oh, okay. Right? It's just observing the mind and becoming familiar with how it works instead of just being, Right? Um, so did you mention earlier, right? Um, metacognitive therapy. Yeah. So one example would be, it's mostly studied as a, as a way to help people with depression and it's shifting the sentence. You don't say I am depressed, right? I have you, you say depressed thoughts or something. Yeah, yeah. Depressed thoughts are arising in my mind okay. and just, you're starting to create a dissociation between the, the qualities, what they call qualia in Mm -hmm. philosophy that arise in the mind, thoughts, objects, body, sensations, emotions, and um, allowing them and detaching, right? That's like the mindfulness side of things is like, what did um, uh, the famous 
guy who who brought mindfulness to the West and to like Western science, um, John Kabat-Zinn. He does mindfulness-based stress reduction. He's the one that started that. Mm-hmm. So um, he defines mindfulness as paying attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment. Yeah. So the without judgment thing is... That's crucial, I would say. That's for, the for challenging the, part. For the, the Buddhist perspective, right? Mm-hmm. But for the metacognitive perspective, it's like you can leave that like accept everything, love myself, and, you know, like all the... the more religious things and you can still make it a very dry, like watch the mind. You are not the objects that arise in the mind. You are the awareness above it, watching it just that basic level. Um, so I think, Oh, and, and the layers of it would be, you can always make whatever awareness you're in the object of a higher level awareness. So at first when I'm, in seventh grade and realizing I'm a visual learner, I should study like this. That's very implicit and I didn't think anything of it. (laughs) I then reflect back as an older person and I sort of can go metacognitive. I'm a layer back and seeing that metacognitive gesture of I'm a visual learner. I'm seeing that as a thought that is arising in a mind. Metacognitive. A meta-metacognitive. basically. Yes, and then like one of the things meditation teachers do all the time is they say, great, you're this separate awareness watching things arise in the mind. Who's aware of that awareness? Mm -hmm. And you can go like another layer back, right? So the ideal thing is like to be like when you're interacting with the world, like you should be like, there shouldn't be you. Like you should be the one that's like watching type of a concept. Like when you're talking, I don't the know words, about the word like, should, but I think everybody should have should. the ability to go metacognitive when things are heating up, especially sure. emotional hijack is when an emotion hijacks your whole thought process and you just become almost like an animation of that. Right. Um, you take on almost like a pre-programmed robot. You can take on an emotion when it hijacks you. Right. Mm-hmm. But metacognition or mindfulness is catching that process and then detaching and seeing it and be like, whoa, there's a lot of hungry hanger arising, (laughs) you know, as I drive home from work right now. Interesting. I bet if I didn't notice this, I might get home and get get in a fight with my wife or something, right? Yeah. And then, but the ability to be metacognitive while you're driving home, not so much so that you crash or anything, of course, but you can... Be like, hey, that's interesting. And that always happens on on this day when I forget to eat before work. And like <laughs> and again, you're you're sort of just becoming wiser because you were able to watch your mind from the perch, from yeah. from the bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so meta awareness is the other word. Mm-hmm. I would say that is the most equivalent to mindfulness. Okay. Since metacognition can include any of those layers of just any thinking about thinking. Yeah. Meta-awareness is the higher and more conscious level of metacognition. It's that mindfulness. I'm aware of the mind in the present moment. Mm -hmm. It's not just like looking back and saying, ah, this is what I just, the thought process I just went through, Mm -hmm. which is metacognition, just doing it, pointing it to the past. But meta-awareness is in the present moment. So you're not lost in any kind of past future, like kind of thing. You're right there watching something happen. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that's the thing we come in and out of all the time, even if you're a practitioner of mindfulness meditation, you know, if you're living a normal life and not at like a Zen retreat center for three months at a time, you're probably not so stable as to just be constantly meta aware. You're Mm -hmm. constantly getting lost and coming back, getting lost and coming back. Um, So the easiest example of this, when you're watching a movie, Mm -hmm. you get lost in the movie. You don't even think of yourself as a person sitting there watching a movie. Something in you gets, I just had this image of like, you know, those um, dart guns. Yeah. How like you just have to throw them lightly at something like this piece of wood or like the right texture and they just go like, doing. it's like something in the movie kind of like, like got stuck to your attention and you like, you're, you were eating popcorn, (laughs) but you just stopped. And even if it's just five seconds, you're gone. Right. Yeah. But you're also not lost in thought. It's not the like, it's not the spaced outlook where you catch someone looking out the window. It's sort of like this weird, like something in the movie, like, (laughs) found a button deep in your brain and like just grabbed your attention, right? Yeah. And then somebody snaps you out of that, right? So in the first state, you were just lost in whatever the experience of the movie was. You didn't even have a self in that moment. You just didn't notice that you didn't have a self. And then somebody snaps and brings you back and you go, oh, I'm watching a movie. That's just light on a screen. Yeah, but like, so it's not getting lost in thought, you said. Well, being lost in a movie is not the same as being lost in thought. You were engrossed at a, and singularly focused on a task so, so, much, so much so that you lost your sense of self. Okay. Mind wandering is the person looking out the window, mm-hmm. just kind of like staring at the trees and you were in the car talking to them and you just lost them for a second. You're like, hello, you know? <laughs> um, that's more what they call the default, default mode network of the brain. Like just when your mind is just neutral wandering, mm-hmm. often not neutral, often negative. In fact, two thirds, like a study out of UCLA um, showed that two thirds of mind wandering is to either negative or neutral thoughts. Sure, yeah. So even when the, um, the present moment was an unpleasant experience, people prefer to be mindful in the present of the unpleasant experience than to just be lost in thought and mind wandering, which usually went to more negative thoughts. Interesting. Yeah, I would believe that probably. All right, so you're watching the movie. You get lost in it. I kind of snap in front of your eyes and say, Yanka, come back. Like, we're in the movie theater, you know? Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, why'd you do that? Like, I was <laughs> enjoying the movie, fucking idiot. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> now you're here, you're back, and you're like, hey, I'm Yanka. I'm in this movie theater. There's a projector, projector behind me. It's yeah. just a, a, a trick that the light on the flat screen is playing on me. And then in a minute, you get sucked back into the movie or different. You're back and forth the whole time you're watching a movie. You shift in your seat. You remember, I'm in a seat, right? Okay. But then, like, let's say I was rudely continuing to talk in this movie theater while (laughs) we're watching a movie. And I go, all right, you just came from being lost in the movie. Now you're aware you're in a movie theater watching a movie. What's aware of that awareness, right? And you can kind of step into a more mindful state, like light is arising in the space of mind and I'm encoding that into like um, a person on a spaceship it's Star Wars or something, right? <laughs> okay. And and then I could say, can you become aware of that which is aware? Like you say, I am aware that this is just sounds and sensations and lights arising in the mind. 
And then I can say, what is aware of that? You know, there's no end to it though. Like, well, I think there's an end to how far you can go, right? Once it's empty, there's nowhere to go. Like if you just get to that, the Buddhist emptiness idea of like, there's no form to anything. It's all made up. It's all just sensations and, you know, open centerless consciousness, you know, all of that. I don't, where, where do you step back to? It's, that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but that's the layers idea of metacognition or meta awareness. Right. And I just think at least that first layer should be obvious to anyone. Like if they've ever watched a movie, gotten lost and come back, mm-hmm. they probably just didn't notice that when it happened, they were lost. They came back, they ate some popcorn again, and they don't notice that process of getting lost. So the coming back is the like the metacognition happens when you look around you and then ground yourself. Like you're like, oh, I'm in a movie theater. That's this, one layer. That, that, but I would say the, the deeper right. metacognition happens when you say, I was oh, lost. that was funny. Th- I was just I see, lost I was just and then gone. I came back. Okay. Not lost in that. So it's like spacing out you're describing basically, not even lost. Well, I'm making anymore. the distinction between spacing out and being engrossed in something. When you're engrossed in the movie, you're not spaced out, mind wandering. You're paying attention. You just okay. are so paying attention that oh, you that lose. Oh, that type of spacing out. Okay. Yeah. I didn't mean like the. But the same would be true of mind wandering. Like I had to learn that from meditation. Like when I was younger, I didn't um, recognize the difference between being lost in thought and being present. Oh, okay. And now that that difference is made obvious through meditation, when you're on a walk, you constantly let your mind wander. But then you'll come back. You'll be like, take a breath. You'll be like, here I am in my body, like taking a walk. I was just wandering about this, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually love meta-awareness while my mind is wandering. There's a way I've kind of learned to just let my mind go into the wandering mode, but still keep this presence like kind of watching it, you know? Like you're just kind of looking down being like, oh, that's funny. So that when something happens, you actually take a note of it and it doesn't just get lost in the, randomness of your mind wandering it's, do you relate to that at all i i think i do yeah i mean it, it sounds like it's similar to like sometimes i let my mind go on purpose so that i could like really see what it's doing and stuff and then sometimes it really does some silly stuff is that what you're trying to yeah, say like but you're like i want to still, know about myself like that's why i let it go but you're still paying attention right yeah yeah yeah. yeah, not yeah. in like a so that's meta type of way that's yeah. that perch that's the yeah. bird's eye view where you're like Hey, let me lay, let me let this conversation play out between different parts of my mind and and then just kind of watch it, right? And sometimes it's hilarious when like you're pretending to be really serious and mad about something or whatever and then like the <laughs> I want pizza party your mind comes online and you just like when you actually notice it, like when you don't notice it, you'll just you know, I don't know. <laughs> I just had a great example of it actually. It's I'll just I don't know, try to get how you did or you thought of an example. I thought of what I'm experiencing like a whole week, this entire week in at work. I'm not gonna get into too many too much of a detail, but um let's say like I'm at work dealing with an annoying person and I'm not exactly sure why I was annoyed because there was nothing solid. You know what I mean? Something inside of me was really reacting to it. And then as it started happening, I just watched it. I'm like, huh, very interesting. I'm just going to really try to figure out like what makes me so angry or whatever. And, and what then, you learn? I mean, what I learned. I'd love to, I'd love to know too. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm trying to say is like, I didn't just like complain. Like I saw a lot of people you going through a go similar yeah, experience, but I don't think any of them try to understand why 
like that's happening. So isn't that a form of metacognition? Like I sat down and really try to understand. I would say in that moment, you were probably in the loose term of mindfulness, not the like, I'm enlightened, I see everything is empty mindfulness, but just like the the general what what they mean by i want to know because that's going to give awareness of the objects of the mind yeah right including the sensations of the body yeah that was going to give me a lot of answers about myself also so anyway yeah and i think that's why i love the idea that meditation is the process of familiarization of getting to know your mind and mindfulness is the state of being it's the because meditation and mindfulness are often just thrown around like they're the same thing meditation has such a wide range of usage and so many different traditions and people mean different things by it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think it just means breathing calmly with your eyes closed and they've just lost <laughs> yeah. their thought the whole time. I would say from the definition I'm working from, I, I wouldn't say that's meditation. I would say that's yeah. a relaxing 10 minutes yeah. of sitting with Resting, your eyes closed. Yeah. That's um, why people say, a lot of people say, oh, I tried meditation, it didn't work for me. I'm like, what does that even mean? When people like, say it didn't work, my first thought was like, like, oh, you, you don't get it. You yeah, I'm like, I don't know where to start, but I would just rather I mean, they could, like, maybe it's not their fault either. Like a lot of these apps out there just don't get it either. They're, it's more of like the the um, the cheap version of, of how to trick people. Like do this and you'll be a stress relief and yeah. or do this and you'll be happier. It's like the best description I heard of that is like um, a real meditation practice puts into question like, why you think you need meditation to be happy, right? Yeah. It puts into question the whole quest for happiness, yeah. right? Yes, absolutely. Like you're not going to, to the gym um, if meditation is a gym, right? You're not going to the meditation gym mm-hmm. so that, there's no so that, you know, at the deeper level. It's just again and again recognizing just empty awareness, you know? Yeah. And of course there are others, loving kindness meditation and compassion meditation and, different themes, but yeah, familiarization. And I think the more time you spend in cognitive metacognitive space, you develop like a skill set of metacognition. You recognize things faster. You sort of, um, you know, get to know the, the different modules of your brain. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of like the module? Yeah. We talked about this a lot, didn't we? Like yeah, modular, I, I mi- about modular it. brain, like yeah. there are different mod- modules. So like, um, I wrote an article, I'll link it in uh, the episode notes. It's one of these like mental frameworks. I'm trying to build a database of different mental models or mental frameworks on the blog part of exploring Kodawari. Didn't we? Yeah. And the, yeah, the modularity of mind is this concept and there's, I'm going to lo- use it more loosely in a second, but um, generally in evolutionary psychology, it means that the mind evolved as a loose collection of of things with different functions, right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't just evolve with this like all centralized organization aspect to it. Um, so there would be modules like the mate retention module, the, um, you know, uh, acquiring a mate module, getting food module, getting water, mo- like these base survival instincts mm-hmm. um, and different emotional conditions will trigger one module or another to take over and become all important. So for example, if you're starving and thirsty, your sexuality module isn't going to push you to go find a mate because you have more pressing evolutionary issues in front of you, like get food and water, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas once you're full and then you might see that come back online and and that will start to control your behavior. All of this is usually from below awareness, Mm -hmm. right? Um, 
And then, of course, you can become meta-aware of these things, right? So, um, I don't know. Try to just off the top of your head name some of your modules. Oh. Not, not, these are yours. These are your personal names. Like, you come up with modules of your brain, sort of like Jack Hornfield, the meditation teacher, will say, like, name your inner dragons. Okay. So, like, your inner modules will be like, hey, I've been, like, on this metacognitive perch for the past year kind of watching the tendencies of my mind like here's i have this module i have this yeah i'm not sure if i named them i don't know that's why i said off the top of your head like if you haven't named them have you named them well i have like loose names for some of them prickly pete and snoopy yeah <laughs> those are my modules <laughs> you just cuddle with your modules again yeah, why not <laughs> i mean like i think there's a way you can sort of Again, I'm I'm using this now in a more looser sense of like, this is my, um, I love talking about my own mind in this way. I don't mean it as the official psychological modules in science literature or anything like that. I mean it in a more loose sense. The other metaphor would be like rooms of a house. Your mind is this big house and it has all these different rooms. Um, not literally, psychologically, for yourself subjectively, right? So you might say, I'm the director of the NIH and it's one of the top science foundations and I know all of this science. But then on Sundays, you still go to church and you believe in God, right? You have a different room in your house mm -hmm. that you step into to go to a religious ceremony. I think that could be perfectly fine. Yeah, absolutely. And our minds are so contradictory too. The different modules do not get along. True. Sometimes they're completely opposite, right? And sometimes they're just, there's some mild conflict or something. Yeah, I would say my um, ambition and laziness modules usually try to like outcompete each other. Well, maybe that module, you could call it more like save energy, right? Yeah. You know, budget energy for the uh, future. You want more wine? Coming in room temperature. Thank you. So I, I think at first someone might judge when they start to become aware of their modules, right? They might say, wait a second, I'm this giant bag of contradiction. I, shouldn't I be this logically consistent like mind? Oh, no. I, I think, I, like, no. Personally, I stopped expecting that for myself like a long time ago. And I think it's a very human thing to have lots of different competing modules in your mind. Which yes. I just don't have any particular names. Actually, that's a really good idea. I should try naming I think everybody has competing anyway. modules in their mind, but they're either just so lost one day with this module that they become that thing. That's and then they're so lost in the next week with a different module, they're not seeing the contradiction. Of course, their enemy very easily points it out. Like if it's a political thing, especially, it's like, here's your blind spot about this. And here's, you know where you're wrong, and then they build up a counter-argument to that, right? It's all an attempt just not to point out the contradictions within themselves. And I'm trying to say that if you study your mind honestly, like a very few minds can, can have like a, a high degree of consistency. I know a lot of like atheist type people have gone really, really far to try to make their worldview as completely consistent as possible. Mm -hmm but there's still going to be differences between how they act and, and yes. what they say they believe. It's, it's going... There's always going to be contradiction, yeah. I think. There are always exceptions to things. And I think 
Yeah, it will be too singular probably if you do that, which is not a good thing. I don't know. And I think that's okay. You can grow to love like the tension between different viewpoints yeah, in your mind. Absolutely. You know how in physics they have um, the science of the very small quantum mechanics and then they have the science of the regular size Newtonian physics. That's how we launch rockets to the moon and stuff, right? Those two sciences don't play well together. And we also have like Einsteinian physics for like understanding gravity on the level of a galaxy or, a, or you know, how universe movement works, you know, just understanding space time and, and general relativity and all that. These don't play well with each other. They're true. They're really true in the sense that they work in the domains that we use them in. If they didn't use Einstein's equations from general relativity, uh, the GPS on your phone would be off by miles in one day. Time slows down for the satellites orbiting Earth. And they have to adjust the clock on there based on a very specific amount. Isn't that crazy? It is. I think I heard of this before. Yeah. When you're traveling at a faster and faster speed, time slows down. But also when you're f farther and farther from a gravitational center like Earth, your time speeds up. Okay. Modular mind. <laughs> Metacognition. Yaka's like, all right, Luke is not being metacognitive of the topic of this episode. No. So my point is there's different domains that things work in, right? So fine. Have different modules in, of, of your mind. You can be a believer at the same time that you're an atheist. I actually really think that. Mm -hmm. Someone says, what are you? You'd be like, I'm not one thing. I'm a collection of modules. I'm a collection of selves. And it just depends on what situation I'm in about which self is going to be most dominant. And sometimes you can be two things at once, right? F. Scott Fitzgerald quote, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind and still retain the ability to function. Oh, ironic <laughs> that I feel like today's society needs this more than any how many right people now? do you do you tell something to like let's especially in politics these days you say but um I totally hear what you're saying about that but if so such and such thing happened would you then change your mind about that policy like you just propose propose a conditional like if this thing and you just go this you see them like like <laughs> They just cannot run your software, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. No. Because to do so would, would be to bring back this uncertainty to what's obviously uncertain because it's all uncertain no matter how sure you are about anything. I mean, to begin with, people need to figure out they're not their thoughts. Like, we're still struggling with that. You know, there's no that's layer of that. Like, that's what yeah. I mean. Like, if that doesn't exist, yeah. how are you even going to hold two ideas? Like, you don't, people think they're there. holding one. Yeah. yeah, people think they are their ideas. They're not holding them. You know what I mean? So Well, they are holding difference. them just subconsciously, right? They're holding onto them emotionally so they can't let them go. But when you that see that you're not your thought, then you go, oh, why I would I hold like on to that? A lot of people, like, I didn't make peace with that idea of like if they're without their ideas they're just nothing type of thing like it's just they can't let go of it because that's a huge part of their identity which is understandable but yeah i mean you didn't build most of your ideas depending on we could we could go down that rabbit hole and i really don't want to but um, most of how your brain works you were not responsible for right you didn't choose your genetics yeah. you didn't choose most of your upbringing but i feel like i can experiment with other things personally like and i'm really struggling to see this and no, I do think I, th I think when you're older, by the way, 
uh, I think it's Dr. Mark Greenberg did a study and he basically concluded that meta-awareness doesn't develop before the fourth grade or so. So it it takes a certain complexity and a certain age. (laughs) Or 20. I was going to say, or or, or 75. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, there's a certain realistic age where it has the ability to come online. And I think I love that phrase, come online, like, like you just said, how many people don't even know that they're not their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's like a magic advice. Like imagine if somebody's like, you know, somebody doesn't know that. And they said, what's the one thing you could tell me that could change the rest of my life? I'd be like, you're not your thoughts. Yeah. And just see them go, right? Or not, unfortunately, because I or tried go that. Like, they would go like, huh? Anyway. I was on Instagram. What'd you say? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, <not laughs> even, yeah, whatever. Anyway. Um, so the biggest idea that I've taken on, and I think this is like, it's just, it's mind blowing to me whenever I remember that I used to not be able to do this. But so you know that your mind is modules, you know that it's different rooms in a house. So the idea is camping and decamping. And what that means is you camp in one viewpoint and you see what it's like to live in that viewpoint. And then you decamp. You have to pack up that camp and go live in a different viewpoint and see what it's like from that viewpoint. And that could be about anything, right? It could just be like, I'm trying to decide, do I invest in this company or that company? I'm trying to decide, do I take this job or that job? And to go metacognitive is to let your brain play out these things, but then watch what parts of your brain react. And so you play out one scenario And then you see that like this jealousy thing kicks in, whatever the situation is like, like, oh, like, you know, if I lived in this city, I'd kind of miss this about, and you, you sort of just watch the program play out in your mind as if you're doing it right. Or as if you believe it. So if I go deep into like a faith module and really let that thing run and camp in that idea, I can so, so easily understand religious people now because I've camped in there, right? When I was younger, I was a more kind of dick asshole version of an atheist probably, right? Because it feels so good. You're like, I have a consistent worldview and you're an idiot, right? (laughs) That's how like so many atheists like uh, uh, approach whatever. And it's like, well, no, your worldview is not consistent and you don't understand um, maybe what you're missing. So you haven't camped there. How do you know, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, it depends. Everyone's different. Maybe they, they have also. Yeah, they maybe have, they have. But, but, but I don't know. Um, have you heard of the, the sandbox idea in yeah. like software? Yeah, we, we talked about this. Yeah. Um, so a sandbox in, in software would be like you're in your browser and instead of just running, you know, you, you click a file that says this is not a virus.exe. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, instead of just running it on your main hard drive, it sets up like a sandbox, which would be like an isolated part of your computer to run something and inspect it and see like if it's safe, right? Sandbox, I think also implies like that's where kids play and explore something, right? Mm -hmm. You're just messing around with stuff in a sandbox, but it's also boxed in, right? So it's it's a way to sort of like run something without it leaking out into the whole of your computer, mm-hmm. sort of like um, me- messing with a virus, but making sure it doesn't infect your whole body, right? Yeah. Um, however that would work. Uh, so you could take on any idea 
And you might say, but if I really camp in that idea, who's to say I won't just get lost in it and become that? If I really am, I'm a reporter. I want to see what it's like to be a a religious person like in the deep South or something. Mm -hmm. What happens if I spend two weeks researching for this article and I really become religious? Like that kind of scares me. The person I am right now doesn't want to risk getting brainwashed and going into a cult or whatever it is you're studying, right? Yeah. So you say, okay, I'm going to go metacognitive on all the experiences I'm having. I'm going to place them inside of this sandbox. And I'm going to be clear that those experiences will happen, but I will always step back into this awareness and be like, I went on that two-week experience Mm -hmm. and not get lost in it and forget that you're the awareness above it, right? That's kind of what the sandbox is. This guy, Eric Weinstein, talks about his jihadi sandbox. Oh. so It's a hard one, you know? I mean, I think (laughs) when you do it, I've gone there. I'll tell you this, the world gets a lot simpler. I mean... I think that's what we crave, like so much of us crave simplicity. Be very careful (laughs) with phrasing that. That's true. We crave simplicity, but that's, yeah. I'm saying like so many people don't bother empathizing with, okay, uh, it's easy to say this person joined ISIS because they're a psychopath. Like the chance that everyone in ISIS is a a psychopath is statistically really not possible. It's Mm -hmm. much more likely that they truly believe something and they're acting yeah. on those beliefs. Brainwashed. Right. But to say, okay, in my jihadi sandbox, let me really run the code and let myself go there. Like, what would it be like to really believe? You can easily get brainwashed if you're struggling with certain things, especially, you know, like I, I always found it very interesting people that are living in Europe or America, like joining or something, but... Yeah, maybe things they get have a great too, job here, right? Yeah, maybe things get too complex. Sorry, and but you're, st- so you're still saying that something in their life has to make them go there. How about they just believe? Also that, yeah. And what I'm asking My you to do in your, in your sandbox, like just go there for a second and just imagine if all the complexity that you face every day in life, like, because we, we're just, all, all of us don't really know what we're going to do tomorrow, the next week, the next month, the next year, like it's so many unknowns and you, you're just, it's very, it's very confusing to be a human, right? Yeah. And then I tell you, no, 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 here's how simple it is. You just have to follow this. And you really believe that like so much of your worry. And I've already covered the afterlife. I say, if you do this, like you don't have to worry about this looming thing we call death. That's like so scary and and that we all have to face, right? it's a really enticing worldview, right? And it's also not just all being evil. It's, it's, you know, there, there's a lot, like there's the whole other side to the religion. It just also has this like more violent side to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think like it's a failure of empathy to not be able to run things like that in your, um, in your uh, metacognitive sandbox, you know? And then kind of watch how it plays out. And then it would make you just like solve problems very differently if you actually understand what the problems are and you're not just simplifying them. Oh, this person did that because this. Whenever you hear people like saying that, it's like, it doesn't sound like you really thought about why they did that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Also, there can be multiple reasons again. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say um that I thought really synced up with metacognition and we've done, or I did this in a past episode. I think you were busy 
the elephant in the brain. Yeah, yeah. Which is the idea that the elephant in the brain is sort of like the elephant in the room, but it's this fact about our brain that is very obviously right in front of our eyes, but we don't seem to want to look at it. And that is that we are constantly lying to ourselves about our own motivations. And the reason we're lying to ourselves is so that we can better lie to other people, right? Okay. And he, uh, this is um, a book by Robin Hanson called The Elephant in the Brain, Hidden Motives in Everyday Life. And we, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight episodes ago, whatever it was, like he came on and we talked about mm-hmm. his, that book. And um, the idea is like becoming aware of those hidden motivations it doesn't mean you're always aware of them or you never get tricked, just like you're not always meta aware, but you start to watch them a little bit more and you can be at least a little bit more honest when you're um, setting aside time to try to go into metacognitive space. You kind of see like, oh, that meeting I just came out of, my, you know, defend my status module was definitely controlling me right there or I was trying to show off right there, right? You know, if like, especially in the music world, you're in a situation and somebody assumes you're just like, whatever, and then you need to signal like, no, 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 like I'm, I'm a, one of the good musicians, like, you know, I'm in that club, you know, like whatever. There's these different layers to that. Sometimes you just casually drop where you went to school or who you studied with or a famous teacher's name that, you know, that you played with or something. And it's, it's all these little hidden motive games of just signaling status, right? then you can kind of become aware of that and you go, oh, wow, interactions are really interesting. Like, look at how us humans kind of signal our status by pretending to just tell each other stories. Oh, yeah, that summer when I was um, at this, you know, famous event with this famous person and we were having wine, actually. And you're like, oh, so like not only are you signaling that you were there with this person, but that you were drinking wine, which not every person who studies with them does. You know, these little games, when you are metacognitive of them, they become so silly. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm kind, aware, don't worry. <laughs> when you're out in the world, it makes you kind of like feel like you look around, you're like, is no one else seeing this? You know? Oh, they are. I mean, they are. <laughs> or are they? It depends who they I are. I hope they are. I think they are. Because I'm seeing it. I don't say anything, but I'm I trying to say it. the default way of behaving for human beings based on the thesis of elephant in the brain is that m- much of what we do every day the real motivation series is, of signaling is, basically is hidden, but yeah, it's signaling, but the motivation is hidden to ourselves. Our brain evolved the strategy of hiding from consciousness. What the real motivation is because it allows you to better lie to other people because people are good at detecting lies. So you're even like so good at lying to yourself that you even forgot in the first hand why you're doing that signaling. Yeah. Well, you never knew. I see. You your never brain, knew your brain really? gave you a counterfeit reason. What if like, but like when I'm doing stuff like that, I'm very aware, for instance. Well, so w- one layer of metacognition will allow you to spot the obvious lies, okay. right? But there are certain... Let me give you an example. I was just curious, like if there's a way to achieve such metacognition that you're almost always aware of your hidden motives, you know what I mean? Or I would say call them. be um, skeptical that you're not always aware of your hidden motives <laughs> that and that'll be the safer position. I mean, I, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm way far, like 
way, way and sometimes from there. Sometimes you have a flash of your real motivation, but you quickly, very quickly, also bury it deeper, yeah. Bury it deep and put, so I just had like a thought, like I remember being in like uh, early high school and having a crush on someone. And then like, <laughs> I had the book I needed for the next class, but I would just kind of like walk to my locker where I knew I would always interact with this person, you know, like th- their locker was right near mine or something. And I would tell myself like, oh, I'm going to get like a pencil. I need a new pencil, you know, like, and then like within the trip there, I would actually believe I'm going, just going to get a pencil. Like, I don't need, oh, you, that person happens to be there. Like, <laughs> hey, she laughed at my joke. Awesome. Like <laughs> those kinds of lies. And then there's even more obvious, less obvious ones. I mean, where you don't even know the motivation to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. It might be so subtle that, that, or so so much it would shame you too much that your brain just can't stand to look at like there's all these different things right yeah but the point is you lie to other people about your motivations much better when you are not aware of them that's true but the metacognitive perch gets you to be more aware i guess right yeah um last thing as a conclusion I wrote an article last year, like one of the first few articles on exploring blog, called Have Fewer Opinions. Yep, I remember that. And just like you said before, like you're not your thoughts. Like how many people don't know that? It, just like to make it explicit, you're also not your opinions. Like you fully didn't even form them. It was formed by this conversation of all these different modules, right? And like your your deeper meta awareness is certainly not the same as the content. This iPad is not identical to the software running on it, right? So like have fewer opinions, yeah. Because <laughs> you're a bag of like I was just telling this to someone I forgot, but like some a friend. Actually I remember, but I don't want to name names, but I don't know. It was Name names, feed the anger. No, it's just I, I was criticizing someone and then I said, oh, I think I just don't like when people have a lot of opinions. And then he laughed at it for like a minute. But anyway, yeah. that's it. Keep going on. <laughs> also, you don't hold on to the opinions you have. Like you're detached from them. And if, if you had to change one, it's not like you go into a full system-wide freakout. Mm-hmm. After all, you're meta-awareness, right? You're not you're, the opinion. It, you're you're not the identity that holds that opinion. You're the awareness that you have a personal identity that might have to change when you find out, hey, this opinion I really cherished, whatever it is, or my opinion of a person being a good person, I find out they're a bad person or whatever it is. Well, that was a, I held on to that because that was an important opinion, but God, I guess I have to let that go, right? Mm-hmm. And it might still be a process to let go of a deeply held opinion, yeah. but you won't suffer through it as much and you won't do crazy things to hold on to it desperately when you're more metacognitive about how you form opinions in the first place. True. Because you'll just kind of be like, you're not just, it's very hard for me to be confident about a lot of things if if it really gets down to it. If you're at like a surfacey conversation, you might be more confident but when people ask me, like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. I kind of usually look at them and be like, how much sure are we talking? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure about anything, really. <laughs> like, But I think you meant, like, am I sure the rehearsal starts at 10 or something like that, right? Um, yeah, so you're aware of your strengths and weaknesses when you're more metacognitive. Sure. 
I tend to get angry in these situations, or I tend to learn best in the morning before I eat breakfast. If I eat first, I get a little sleepy and my brain doesn't learn as much. There's that layer, right? They're just being a better person. I tend to um, get jealous in this situation. Like you can just, again, just watch your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't just like do that social signaling thing so automatically. Yeah. And when you do do it, you actually decide to do it. Yes, like, it's time uh, for me to somebody let out needs a little to bit. hear like they're kind of acting a certain way, and and yeah, um, very true. I, I'm going to send a small signal that um, I see what you did, Ramon. Like I know what you just did. You know, <laughs> very true. Any other last thoughts? I have a question. Um, yeah, what are some like? Obviously, you're not an the expert on this but i was just curious if you read it anywhere what are some tips to be more metacognitive generally speaking how can you in- increase that I don't know. well certainly a first step is to know about it yeah. so that you can start to understand these layers like you can stop and watch right mm-hmm. but b- basically i would say um just meditate be aware of your thoughts having a mindfulness like practice this, right? because it is a skill that gets better with time. But also, whether you want to call it mindfulness meditation, you could just go on a walk every day and use that time and say, I'm setting aside that time to try to do this thing called metacognating, you know, Mm -hmm. where I'm not just going to let myself mind wander, but I'm going to try to be the presence above cognition and watch it. Mm -hmm. Even just setting aside time to do it. I think you just... And then in really difficult situations, if you're in like a fight or you're going through a a tough decision about something, right? Then especially you should set aside time to not just be like, now I'm this, now I'm that. Just be like, okay, my mind's at tension right now, right? Mm -hmm. All right, why is it at tension? Well, on the one hand, I really value telling the truth to someone. But on the other hand, like I want to be graceful. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And on the other hand, I'm really fucking hungry right now so i can't really be thinking about this you know like you can watch and be like yeah oh i want to love this person and not hurt them oh but they deserve to know the truth oh i want pizza like all of those things can be in your mind and you see it above you know all right i'm gonna i'm gonna (laughs) yeah you actually want pizza right now don't you really do um all right i'm gonna close it with the bertrand russell quote the fundamental cause of the trouble is that in the modern world the stupid are cocksure while the intelligent are full of doubt. Oh my God, that is so, that is so true. Yeah. Say. I'm not going to say anymore because I'll ruin the quote. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. All right. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.